influencing people around us. The Bible tells us to reach our centers of influence and reach our oikoses, and I believe social media. Some people love social media. Some people hate social media. It doesn't matter. It's a tool given to us. So if you're a Christian, you got to realize that your social media is actually an impact zone that you have, that God's given you to reach people for Jesus. You're like, man, then i got to take down all my party pictures, man. If I start telling people about Jesus, well, then maybe you should do that. And you should like, share it with your friends that you're a Christian and that that's really who you are. So just want to encourage you with that. Share the stream. People need Jesus. I don't know if you're aware of this. People need Jesus. If you think you can do it without Christ, you're completely fooling yourself. I don't know how people do it. I don't know how people they actually live or survive without Jesus. I need Jesus every minute of every hour of every day. We have a living faith. Right? We don't, we, he's the God of the living and not the God of the dead. He's alive and well, and he's given us his spirit. And so we've been talking about the prayer, uh, Matthew 6. We've been talking about the Lord's Prayer. And so we're going to finish that up today. And this, this is a prayer. The disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray. And because one of the things that they observed about Jesus' life was that there's, this guy, not only is he God, he's Messiah, all that other stuff, they could, they, but they were like, there's something about what he does through prayer that brings change that we've never been able to experience. And so they asked him, teach us to pray. And Jesus taught them. He taught them how to pray. And, this, and the prayer that he taught them is a prayer that is not just our, it's our Father who is in heaven. You guys all know it. You know, some of you have had catechisms and all this other stuff, conf confirmations. You have to recite it and all that other stuff. But this prayer isn't a mantra. It's not just a statement. It's actually, it's a, it's a heading. It's a topical study of what prayer is. It begins with positioning our Father. And so the very first thing Jesus does when we come to him in prayer or we when, we approach the kingdom, when we approach the kingdom in prayer is that we have to position ourselves. We position ourselves as sons and daughters and we acknowledge that he is our father. This is extremely important. And why is this important? Because most Christians pray beggar prayers. Most Christians pray victim prayers. We're supposed to pray with effect, right? So we pray fervently, the fervent, effectual prayers of the righteous avail much. Oh, we pray fervently, we pray fervently like beggars, and we pray fervently like victims, but our prayers don't really affect much because God doesn't recognize you as a beggar and God doesn't recognize you as a victim. What's a beggar prayer? Oh God, please. Oh Lord, if you're just in a good mood today, I just ask you, Lord, oh God, please. You're not a beggar. Victim prayers, why, oh why? is happening to me why you're not a victim either and so jesus never tells you to position yourself that way he says when you come before the lord you don't come before him on your you know oh god oh just me again oh if you're i know it's needy me oh it's needy me you come on your feet you come as your feet you come standing before him this is another one that rocks people but it's true the new testament doesn't call us before an altar it calls us before the throne the sacrifice has already been made I don't come and grab hold of the altar and lay down upon the altar. Well, you present yourself a living sacrifice. I understand that. But when it comes to prayer, it tells me to come boldly before the throne of grace. It doesn't tell me to come crawling to the altar. I come boldly before the throne of grace. I come before the seat of authority standing, knowing who I am and knowing who my Father is. Right? So the first part of this prayer, and it's a huge dynamic. And it, could it be that our prayers are not effectual because we're praying out of a misalignment? Could it be that our prayers are not effectual because we're praying out of a wrong context? Just a question. What would happen if you began to pray like a son and a daughter? What would happen if you began to come before the throne of grace and began to access the authority given to you and, you, and standing and praying from the position that Jesus paid to give you? What would happen then? I wonder. Could it be your prayer life would shift? Could it be that kingdom would start moving over your prayers? Could it be that things would actually manifest through your prayers? 
And you'd have more answered prayers consistently because you're praying effectually. You're praying positionally correct. It's a problem. We train Christians. Listen, I was, I was taught victim prayers. I was taught it. They teach it in Bible school, man. Oh, God. Look at Sister Susie. Oh, you know how she serves you, Lord. Oh, she serves you. Oh, she's here day and night. Oh, oh, she painted the children's room all by herself. Oh, God. Oh, look at her. Oh, God, have mercy on her. It's a begging prayer. I thank you that Susie is a daughter. Father, I thank you that this is your daughter. I thank you that provision is her right of inheritance. I call forth her right of inheritance in the name of Jesus that is rightfully hers as a son and daughter. I command every mnemonic and every negative influence to be broken in Jesus' name. And I call forth and bestow upon her and activate what is rightfully hers. Oh, 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 oh. Had a guy pray, call me on the phone. I think he was from Montana or something. Call me off the internet, ask me to pray for him. You know, it's like, I'm like, yeah, man, I'll pray for you. And I'm, I mean, you're gonna ask me to pray for you? It's not gonna be, oh, God. Oh, Jesus. Oh, why, Lord, is it happening to Steve in Bozeman, Montana? Why, God? I'm like, Steve, are you a believer? Yep. And say, because he was having problems with his business. He said his business was very seasonal and like, you know, of course, COVID, like this was a few months back, you know, shifted a lot of people's things and he had lost a lot of revenue and he didn't know what he was going to do. I said, you, I said, you believer, Steve? He's like, yep. I said, then provision is your inheritance. The bread is for the children. And let's begin to pray over him. I thank you for Steve. I thank you, Father, that he's your son. I just call forth supernatural provision that is his by right of inheritance. I call forth supernatural wisdom that is his by right of inheritance. That you will give him ideas and concepts. That you will use people, places, and things to encounter him along the way. And that you will activate the provision that belongs to him. And I'll declare promises. The Lord says you've been, un- the, the word says you've been young and you've been old and he's never seen the righteous forsaken or the seed begging for bread. I'm like, you're not a beggar and you won't beg for bread. God will give nations for your ransom. He will cause everything around you to be disrupted in order for you to be provided for. That's who he is, and that's who you are. Oh, that changes the whole thing, doesn't it? That's why God doesn't look at you as a beggar, Christian. You, gotta, you better get it in your heart. You better get it in your head that you're a son and a daughter. You say, I don't feel like it. It doesn't matter what you feel like. It does not matter. He doesn't ask you, Kevin, do you feel like a son today? Do you feel, I don't go into my, child, my son's room and go, Elias, do you feel like you're my son today? Do you really feel that you're my son? Yet that's how we act. We operate. We run around acting if we don't feel like it. Well, I don't feel like it. It doesn't matter what you feel like. You are. And you act out of who you are, not what you feel. This is what's going on in our society and in our culture. Is We, we, we have a feeling-based faith. Everything's based on feeling. It has nothing to do. Say it with me. Faith, faith. has no feeling. Right? You want to talk about the principle of, of, our, of our faith is faith. And faith is neutral. Faith feel when you have neutrality, it's just this clarity. That's faith. You want to, do you say, what does faith feel like? Clarity. It's just this, it's this certainty that has no emotion attached to it. That's faith. And so, yeah, but we, we believe that everything we do and every way we act, interact with the Lord has to have some feeling attached to it. It doesn't have to have any feeling attached to it. It's faith. Then there are times when God never asked me my feelings. I didn't ask you for your opinion, Gavin. I didn't ask you if you felt like it. Well, I don't feel like it, Jesus. I don't feel like it. And he just, he's not going to me and asking me if I feel like it. Do you feel like it? Oh, I'm just not up to it today, Lord. We do it beyond feeling. That's what's called obedience. This is the rock. This is the bedrock of the gospel. This is the bedrock of Christianity. I'm not saying this is what we teach. 
But if you want to know what the Bible actually calls us to, it calls us to this. That we have a faith, a certainty, and obedience beyond feeling. It's the same thing with your identity. Just the first thing he leads with. Jesus wants to go, he goes, you want to know how to pray? I'm going to show you how to pray. I'm going to lead you out with your identity. And I'm going to lead you out with who your father is. You're a son, and he's your father. You're not a beggar. Well, when you pray, you worthless worms, I just want you guys to get down on your knees. I want you to tear your clothes and look as miserable as possible, and I want a few tears streaking down your face, and I want you to crawl, and I want you to pray and call upon God in a quivering, shivering voice. Then and only then will you be heard. He didn't say that at all. He didn't say that at all. Our Father, take your rightful position. You are an heir. You're an heir. You're not a beggar. You're not a victim. You say, you say this every week. You're dang right I say it every week. Why? Because you need to hear it. You need to be reminded who you are. You need, to re- you need to be encouraged with who you are. That's the first thing is positioning. Second part of the prayer is access into your inheritance. Hallowed be your name. Your inheritance is in his name. Every believer has an inheritance. You have an inheritance. Every one of us, you have a destiny. Your destiny is not the same as your inheritance. You got to get that too. There's an inheritance that every believer has in the room. We all have equality of inheritance, but we don't have equality of destiny. You, everyone has a special destiny. Everyone has an amazing destiny. You have an equality of inheritance. What's your equality of inheritance? Provision belongs to you because your, your, your inheritance is in his name. He gives you his name. Salvation belongs to you. That's your inheritance, right? Just, Jesus, Yeshua, Jehovah saves, right? But he's also Jehovah Jireh. So provision belongs to you. What does that provision look like? Basic provision. That's why Christians survive, but they can't get to success or significance. And they think that survival is all that they have because survival is so easily activated. They don't understand that success and significance require you to partner with promise. If you don't partner with promise, you're never going to go past survival. But happy day, you get to survive. You're going to. God's going to take care of you. You don't have to worry. You'll get by. But anybody here want to just get by? I don't. Not when he's told me I can have the mountain. I'm like, how do I get up that mountain, Lord? How do I get there? Well, you got to walk this road, Kevin. And you got to do it when you don't feel like it. And you got to partner into promise. And you got to activate. You got to activate those things. Destiny is, destiny is partnered with. Inheritance is activated. We activate your inheritance and we partner with destiny. Destiny is a constant path towards the, towards the goal. But inher- healing is your provision. Healing is yours by right of inheritance. I don't know if you know that. Jehovah Rapha, your inheritance is in his name, right? Sanctification, Jehovah Mekadesh, which means what? Freedom from sin and its lingering effects. That's where we get the word deliverance. Many Christians walk around carrying the lingering effects of a world that they no longer live in. Many Christians walk around carrying the lingering effects of a dead person that they no longer are. You have to appropriate your inheritance. Sin's lingering effects has no authority over you. You say, well, then why is it there? Oh, we're just free in Jesus. Are we? Are we? Are we all free in Jesus? Have we looked around? Have we looked at the church? Could it be we're missing something? Oh, I absolutely believe we are free in Christ. I'm free eternally from my sins, and I'm eternally born again. But I know I have to activate my inheritance. I know I have to activate my sanctification because I know I'm followed by sin's lingering effects. And if I don't activate my inheritance against sin's lingering effects, sin's lingering effects are still there. Oh, well, pastor, well. I have theological debates with pastors over that. I'm like, have you seen your church? 
Have you seen the people in your church? Or is everybody just bleached and sterile when they come on Sunday mornings? I live in the real world, man. We live with real people. That's why Christians are so sanctified and holy on Sunday, because we don't want anybody to know that we're still carrying around sin's lingering effects. Oh, hair's high. And if we feel that there's some, some aspect of sin's lingering effects, the church Christian won't come to church. Or they'll be ultra-religious on that day. Bless God. Hallelujah, brother. Oh, blessed, sanctified, holy, going to the Spirit, going into heaven, waiting on Jesus, waiting, Maranatha, waiting on the Lord's return. This is the stupid way we talk. It is. Christian dumb. Oh, I talk like that. Well, then stop doing it. I don't have a problem with bless God, hallelujah. I don't have a problem with that. But, like, can we be real, right? We act like this stuff isn't true. We have to activate and appropriate our inheritance, or it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. I had a guy send me an email. This was one of the debates I had. The pastor's like, you know, you talk about doing all this work. Jesus has done it all. I'm like, yeah, Jesus has done it all. But I have to apply myself into the work. I have to give myself into the look. Jesus has done the work of salvation. But if you don't open your heart and confess with your mouth, you don't get, the, you don't get it. Christ has died for the whole world. But still, every one of us has to do something, don't we? Isn't that what the Bible tells us to do? Believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, and then what happens? It's activated. The Spirit of God activates, and he activates what? The inheritance that is in the name of Jesus, Jehovah saves. The inheritance becomes activated, but that's in salvation. I have to activate the inheritance that's in Jehovah Mekadesh. I have to activate the inheritance that's in Jehovah Jireh. I have to activate the inheritance that's in Jehovah Rapha. The Bible says lay hands on the sick and they'll recover, right? How many knows if you don't lay hands on the sick, you're not, they're not recovering? You understand? We have to activate Jehovah Rapha. There's a whole dimension to this, but the point being is that your, your inheritance is in his name. This is when Jesus is teaching us prayer. Position yourself and honor the inheritance that is in your name. Hallowed, honored be your name. Father, I thank you that you are Jehovah Rapha. I thank you that you give me your name. I thank you that healing is mine in the name of Jesus. I thank that divine health belongs to me in the name of Jesus. I thank you that in me and through me comes miracle power through the name Jehovah Rapha. As your son and heir, as your son, I thank you that you free me from sin's lingering effects. I ask you right now to show me where the lingering effects of sin are rooted in my life so that you can appropriate Jehovah Makedesh into the lingering effects of sin that you're carrying around. We, we, just, we, just, we, act, we act the wrong way. There's so much more for you, Christian. There's so much more for you. There's so much more for you. All the way there. Jehovah, Jehovah to Sidkenu, you're righteous. You don't ever need to feel righteous because you are righteous. He gave you his name, Jehovah to Sidkenu. You're not only saved, you're right. You're not going to be more right than you're ever going to be. Well, I've left the Lord. No, you're positionally right before the Father. No one can remove you. You are positioned. You are in right standing with the Lord because he gives it to you. Jehovah Nisi, he's your banner. He's your victory. He's your protection. You're guaranteed victory. I thank you, Father, that you are Jehovah Nisi. I thank you that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. I thank you that every tongue that rises against me will be condemned. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. I thank you. I call forth the name of Jehovah Nisi over my life, and I command the silence of all accusing voices now in the name of Jesus. And I call forth victory. This is kingdom. This isn't casual Christianity. This isn't American church churchianity. This isn't church culture. This is kingdom culture. It's totally different. 
We have world culture, we have church culture, and we have kingdom culture. Kingdom culture looks like this. 1 Corinthians 4.20, the kingdom is not in word, but in power, right? Kingdom, not church, kingdom. I'm not interested in church. I build the church in the kingdom. Well, you don't like the church? I love the church. I adore the church. But the church is the aspect of the kingdom. The church, it cannot be, the church is not self-existent without kingdom. How do you know? Look around. We're the light of the world. Does it look like it? We're the salt of the earth. Does it look like it? Just asking. First-generation Christians, they, the, the gospel was known in all the earth in one generation. Could it be that we're a little dysfunctional? You know, could it be we're a little off in comparison to how it initially began? You know, we're missing something. We've, we've become so theologically correct that we've missed the dimensions of what we're actually supposed to be. Interceding in the areas of our lives. That's when it says, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's not God's, is it, is it God's will that you be poor? Let's just ask. Okay, this side, this side's, oh, he's got, yes, it's not his will. Poverty's a curse, right? So it is. It's not God's will that you not be provided for. So when you're saying your kingdom come, your will be done, you begin to pray and to intercede into the areas of your life. It's God's will that your family be saved. Is it not there? You and your whole household will be saved. That's what he told the centurion. Does that promise apply to you? Absolutely. If that applied to a first century centurion, it applies to you. So, Father, I just thank you in the name of Jesus that it is your will for my family members to be saved. I claim and I stand upon the promise that me and my whole household will be saved. My children will be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of my children. I accept no substitutes. Amen. This is prayer. This is effectual prayer. And you know what you're doing? You're praying in the harmony of heaven. Resonating power is over that prayer. Clarity is over that prayer. There's no uncertainty there. None. We begin to intercede into your kingdom come, your will be done. It's not only in your personal life, it's into the areas of the world, right? Sin, righteousness exalts a nation and sin is a reproach to every people. You want to intercede for your nation? Expose the darkness and tear down the strongholds of darkness. Call forth the establishment of righteousness in our land. Not as we determine, but as God determines. Why? Kingdom of God come, will of God be done. Well, it's just God's will. That the nation turns as it turns. It's just God's will. Is it? Is it? Maybe it's, maybe it's because the, pray, the Christian doesn't effectually pray. Just a question. You know? And, and, and look, I get it. Some people are at different points. But what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to drive you to this point of what God wants. And I'm trying to drive you to the point of how, how we really see what these stuff happen. And how we really see change. This is how we see change. What is God's will? What is God's kingdom? Then we pray for the provision that is ours. Give us this day our daily bread. There's daily provision that belongs to you. Wisdom's yours every day. Father, I just thank you this morning that wisdom belongs to me. I thank you that love is mine and that you have an abundant provision of love for me this morning. You have an abundant provision of acceptance for me this morning. I cannot love others unless I first love myself. And I can't love myself unless you, I first know that I am loved by you. I thank you for that provision that is mine today. I thank you for the wisdom, Lord, that is mine today. That, so the things that I face, you're going to have me. I thank you that I'm going to have clarity. I'm going to have understanding. Give me my, this day my daily bread. Thank you for the provision that is mine daily. He has provision for you every single day. Yours daily. Intentional forgiveness. Forgive us our debts as we forgive. Those are just areas of your life where there's little glitches. <laughs> Big ones, little ones, whatever, Lord, I'm wrong. Forgive me, search me, and know me. It's another thing. It's also walking in intentional forgiveness. Lord, I just choose to forgive those who I knowingly, who knowingly will offend me today. I choose to walk in intentional forgiveness. I will not be offended. 
I choose to forgive. That's another side of it. It's all stuff we've been talking about the last few weeks. Right? And then, it's for, then last week was um, uh, uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us to e- from, from evil. And I talked about how that word is that's worded wrong. The, really what that says is compelled by, e- compelled by ego into temptation, let me not be. That's what that, that, if you look at that in the Greek, that's exactly what it means. The way that it's worded or translated in New English is lead us not into temptation, which implies that the Lord is leading you into temptation, which is contradictory to James. The Lord cannot be tempted, nor does he tempt anyone. So which one is it? Is he leading me into temptation, or can he not tempt? Well, the, 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 the wording is wrong. The original text is correct. The translations are oftentimes misunderstood, or they're translated in the, in the context of what was the understanding of the time understanding changes over time. If you look at it in the Greek, it said, compelled by my ego into temptation, let me not be, but deliver me from evil. So uh, this was the prayer we prayed last week. Compelled, carried away, and driven into, it also means driven. Driven into temptation let, by my ego, let me not be, but deliver me, rescue me, set me free, bring me out and drag me. That's what that word deliverance means. If you have to drag me, I'm giving you permission to drag me, Jesus. If I'm in a situation that, is a, that you can drag me, you can grab, you have, anybody ever drag your kid, right? You ever, you ever grab your kid by the back of the collar and you just go, get over here? I would never do that, pastor. <laughs> really? <laughs> we grab that kid, whip him away, drag me if you have to. So if your son's over there talking to a stranger, right? And the stranger's telling him he's got candy in the car, right? Moms. You wouldn't go over and grab that kid by the back of the neck and just yank him over here? He'd be kicking and screaming the whole time, why, mommy, that man had candy in the car for me? Why are you dragging me? He, you're delivering that child from evil, right? Are you not? Yes. Well, why would our father, we, so when you're saying drag me from it, you're saying, Lord, if I'm in a situation and somebody's enticing me with candy, right, and they're promising me something that's not of you and I'm being enticed, Grab me by the back of the neck and drag me, if you, if you please. Bring me out, drag me if necessary from all things pain-ridden. This is what evil is. What is evil to the Lord? Pain-ridden, miserable, agony-filled. All those things God considers evil. When you look at that in the, in the Greek, this is what, these are what the words mean. Agony-filled, all things slothful, all things delaying, all things worthless, all things prof- unprofitable, and all things unfruitful. Didn't say smoke, drink, and chew and hang out with those that do. That's how the church defines evil. God defines it a little differently. Is there pain-ridden? Is it pain-ridden? Is it something that is miserable? Is it something that is causing you agony? I'm not talking about the pain of conviction. I'm not talking about the pain that leads to repentance. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about stuff that's in your life that you accept as if it was from God, and it's not. Most Christians, they buy into it. They say, oh, this is what the Lord wants. Who told you that? Who told you that? The Bible tells us that he, says he sees it as evil. And so this is the idea. So this is that anything that's slothful or delaying, God considers it evil. If it's slothful and it delays his purposes in your life, he, does, he says, that's wrong. I don't want you to have that. Deliver me, Lord, from slothfulness. Deliver me, Lord, from delay. Drag me out of my laziness if you have to. Kick me out of the bed if you have to. Right? Smack me. Give me a couple of high karates if you have to. This is the relationship. You know, like, like, oh, Jesus is going to come down. Like, we treat Jesus like he's always giving us a massage right? You know what I mean? Like he's just, oh, how are you feeling today, Kevin? You feeling okay? I'm all about you and the champion that you are. And I just want to give you a little bit of pump up here. <laughs> I'm asked, this prayer is basically telling me, if I'm lazy, Lord, grab me by the neck and drag me out. 
I'm giving him permission to do that. If I'm in a position where I'm doing the wrong things or I'm misaligned, you can grab me and you can drag me out if you have to. Whatever you got to do. Rescue me, set me free, bring me out, and drag me if necessary. Anything I'm involved in that is not profitable to you, get me out of it. Anything that I'm involved in that is not fruitful to you, get me out of it. Yeah. Under no uncertain terms. That's a powerful prayer when you start seeing it that way. It turns from a poem into power. And the church, for a long time, they were trying to, even when we were translating English, they were trying to translate it for memorization, right? And often, so that's why a lot of times English translations sound a little poetic because they're trying to translate it for memory. And it would be easier to memorize if it was like almost like a semantic, you know, like a rhythm. So that's one of the reasons why. It doesn't mean the translation's wrong. It just means the intent. Like for me, I'm not looking for poetry. I'm looking for power. <laughs> and I look, and anytime I read a poem, I know there's power behind that poem. So when I read, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And it's like flowery, you know, Elmer Fudd throwing daisies in the, in the air. I know that there's something much deeper there. Because God doesn't write poetry. He's not interested in poetry. Is he a poet? 100%. Can he write beautiful verse? 100%. Can he write beautiful lyric? 100%. But, he's, but his interest is not in that. Right? That's on top of it. His interest is in, some, his interest is in substance. That's who he is. And so this prayer ends with praise. It says, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So the prayer begins with positioning. It begins with honoring and accessing. And then it, be it ends with understanding. So the way you're supposed to leave this prayer is you're supposed to leave focused. Yours is the kingdom, which this is how this is translated. Of you is the kingdom. Of you is the power. And of you is the glory. We, we look at it, and our, our English understanding means the Lord is the possessor of the king. For yours is the kingdom. The power is yours. The glory is yours. But if you read the New Testament, it doesn't say that. Fear not, little ones, it's your Father's good pleasure to what? Give you the kingdom. Does it not say that? So God is, yes, the, the kingdom is the Lord's, but he gives it to you. You shall receive what? When the Holy Spirit comes. Right. So is the power his, or has he given it to us? Right. And we are, to, to, him he, to, whom, to him who he uh, justified, he sanctified, and he also did what? Glorified, right? So are we participants? We, the glory is the Lord's, let me be clear. The kingdom is the Lord's, let me be clear. The power is the Lord's, but we are heirs and we have it by inheritance. You have access to things that belong to your father. It's not abject, it's not separate from you, it's integrated into you. And what happens is our mindset sees all of these things as separate. And when we see all these things as separate, we live as if it's separate. We do. We live separated. Oh, God, the power's out. No, the power's with you. The Holy Spirit resides in you. You just don't know how to activate him. You don't, know how to let it, you don't need to know how to manifest what's already yours. The dominion, the king's dominion is with you. The glory is with you. The weight of goodness is with you. Yours is the kingdom. So you're supposed to leave the prayer focused, realizing that of him is the kingdom. My job, our job as Christians is to be about our father's business. Did you not know that? What does Jesus want from you? Well, we're just supposed to enjoy Jesus forever. Okay, again, poetically, that's church history. I get it. That's stuff that's been said throughout time. But if you really look at the New Testament, the New Testament is actually calling us to be about our father's business. And what is our father's business? His kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So our job as believers, if you want to know what God is looking for from his sons and daughters, 
is to be about his, about his business, manifesting his dominion on earth as it is in heaven. That's what he wants. That's your job, and that's my job. And what does that look like? Well, the first area of dominion that needs to happen is the dominion of your life. Not just your salvation, but into the spheres of your life, your faith, your family, your finances, your future, and your friendships. The king's dominion needs to reside there. Are your friendships fruitful or are your friendships toxic? Do your friendships bring you closer to Jesus or do they bring you more waywardly? You need to redeem them. You need to start developing dominion friendships that enhance this. That's, that's redemption. Your family, right? The king's dominion needs to come into your family. Well, half my family's not saved. Well, you are. You are. You can't control all them, but you can control you. Love your wife as Christ loved the church on earth as it is in heaven. How do I do that? With the Holy Spirit. Welcome to the planet. <laughs> my daughter, whom I love, when she got married, she's like, wow, this is hard, Dad. This is hard. You know, how do you guys do it? How have you, Mom, stayed married so long? I said, well, <clears throat> one word, Jesus. Two words, Holy Spirit, right? So that's how I told her. I said, Mariah, your prayer life is going to grow. I said, you never needed to practice your faith, girl, but now you do. <laughs> you never called upon the Lord when you were younger, but now you will. <laughs> Knees of my pants were worn out. I learned how to pray. Help me, Jesus. Help me. That was my prayer. It started off with, the woman you've given me, Lord. <laughs> and then it ended up with, oh, my gosh, I got so many issues, Lord. I, you got to help me because I can't get past myself. I can't get out of my own way. Yeah, that's how it is. We're supposed to leave about our Father's business, so God's dominion is to come into our areas of our lives. God's dominion is to be in your finances. God's dominion is to be in your family. God's dominion is to be in your future. This is a big misnomer. Christians have this future, and they say, God, get on my vision for the future. This is my projected future. This is what I want. I'm all in on submitting your requests to the Lord. This is the future I want. But he has editing power. He gets to edit your future. He's going to say, that's not what I want for you. That's not what I want for you. And what he has something greater for you. I have my own vision. Trust me. I tried for years to get Jesus on my own vision. And I only realized that this isn't going to work. <laughs> this is what I want, Lord. This is what I want. And he's like, Kevin, why do you keep bringing me this? This isn't what I want for you. But what he wanted for me always seemed diminished to me in light of my grandiose ideas of myself. You know? But what he actually wanted for me was more beautiful, more powerful than I could ever imagine. When I started integrating my life into his dominion, when I integrated the vision of my future into his, into his dominion, and I allowed him to rule, he's got a better plan for you than you could ever imagine. Huh? We all think, oh, he's going to send me to Africa, and I'm going to be in the bush with the kudu, you know? And I'm going to be like, you know, witnessing in the Brussels and the thorn bush. Odds are that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Some of you, you live diminished lives because you were created in a specific way to bring forth specific things. There are business leaders and musicians and mercy givers and caretakers and people of all sorts and walks of background that God has created something great for you. But we, what we disqualify it is as we go off on our own agenda or we try to force Jesus onto our own agenda. I'll tell you what you, somebody says, well, where do I begin? What's God's will for my life? You know, step, everybody say step one. Son and daughter. Your first step with him is to learn who him is your father and to begin to learn that you are loved and accepted as a son and to deal with all of the barriers that relate to that. A lot of people have a problem. There's barriers in their heart to relating to him in fullness as their father. They have issues with their father. They have issues with themselves. They have issues of inadequacy. 
They have issues of brokenness. They have issues of unwantedness. And they could never fully embrace the father's love. Why? They were abused, abandoned, neglected by their father. Somewhere in there, there's some chain of brokenness. There's no healthy relationship. You have to heal that. You have to deal with that. That's step one. And when you do that, man, all of a sudden everything starts opening up to you because what happens is the love of the Father begins to flow in you with fullness and you begin to realize, wow, he's greater than I imagined. You know, he's more beautiful than I ever imagined. He's more powerful. He wants, he's more good than I've ever imagined. And you begin to realize and your trust factor goes up. But that's another story for another day. We're supposed to leave focus, focused on the kingdom, fearless, right? His power, so we're supposed to leave, your kingdom comes, so the prayer ends, and we leave focused. It's about his kingdom. So I'm done praying, I'm about to set off on my day. Uh, my day, now I know, it's about his kingdom. And now it's about his power, I have power, I'm fearless, I'm bold as a lion. I'm not afraid of anything, I got the glory in me, right? And that's the second part, full. Full of what? Glory. Glory is goodness. So you're full of confidence and power from the spirit, and you're full of his goodness. You, you, you leave that way, that's how the prayer is supposed to end. David was building the temple, and he announced it. And, he, and one of the things David said, it's interesting that I made this conjecture. I probably, you know, anyway, what the, what the, whatever. So David, wanted, David was given the, his, he was told that his son Solomon would be allowed to build the temple. And one of the things that, Jesus, that David said was the greatness and the power and the glory of the Lord, the victory and the majesty. He gives this same, you know, doxology or the same pro proclamation that Jesus gave. So Jesus is actually, when he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he's mirroring the prayer of David in, the, in First Chronicles. You know why? Because David, David the, the temple of God was about to be built. And so Jesus is actually mirroring it because we are what? Who are we? Are the temple of what? The temple of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is making the same proclamation over our lives. You know, God's glory, God's majesty. So it's the same concept that God's temple was being built in the Old Testament. And God speaks kingdom power and glory over the temple that he has in the New Testament. It's just this interesting parallel, which, I don't know, I, that stuff interests me. But anyway, let's talk about praise. Say it with me. Seven Hebrew words for praise. Seven. Right? Seven. <laughs> Hebrew, doesn't ex Hebrew doesn't elaborate very much. Greek elaborates. Hebrew is pretty generic most of the time in word studies. So when it gives you seven words, you're like, oh wow, this is interesting, because it never really elaborates. Seven words, the first one is, everybody say it with me, toda. Yeah, right, toda means to extend the hands. It's the first one, right, toda. The next one is yada, say yada. Not yoda, yada, okay, yada. So toda is this, yada is this, right? So this is adoration. This is, this, is, this is thanksgiving, or, you know, either way, but you're extending their hands. This is, this is Torah, and this is Yada. That's considered praise to God. So you come to church, and you can't carry a tune in a bucket. Can you lift your hands? That's right. That's right. So I can't sing. I don't, I don't have any rhythm. I don't. <laughs> Can we wheel your hands up and do this? You know, I started out like this in the beginning, then I started out like this. And eventually I'm like this, right? So it's all in. So this way, this way, and here's the one. Halal, eh? Halal, you're gonna see this. You're gonna see these next ones in living color. So you wonder, why do people raise their hands in church? Because Jesus commands it. The Bible, the Bible commands it. It commands us. Lift up your hands. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary. That's Old Testament, New Testament. I command, and you know what the Bible tells us in Timothy? Men, lift up your hands. Do you know why who's most unlikely to lift their hands is the men. The women are typically like, woo, I love it. 
Dudes are like, I don't know. It's kind of like, I'm not too sure. They got burgers in here anywhere? I don't know. <laughs> in the New Testament, it tells the men to lift up their hands because we're the most unlikely to do it. Without wrath and without doubt, lift your hands up, dudes. Get them up. Say, it's not my thing. It's Jesus' thing. That's the difference. I would tell the Lord a lot of times, it's not my thing. He goes, it's my thing, Kevin. And I'm like, oh, it's your thing? Yeah, it's not your thing. I'm all right with that, but it's my thing. So my thing needs to become your thing. So your thing is not going to become my thing, but my thing definitely needs to become your thing. It's how it's works. because I'm supposed to conform and transform into his image and not the other way around. And so halal, what does this mean? Ready? You're going to see this one in living color. Vigorous excitement and raving celebration. So all you got to do is look over here on the stage, and you'll see the twins. You'll see Diana and Carmen. <laughs> Woo! You know, Diana danced her shoe off here this morning. That's halal. Halal. Dance with exuberance. Celebrate with exuberance. Be praiseful in exuberance. Somehow, America, I don't know where we get this from, but we're not getting it from the Bible. We think that worship looks like this. Gregorian monks. That's what we think. You know, or we think that it's some other form of that. That's, that's our perception of it. That's not biblical. Halal is vigorous, exciting, raving celebration. Twirling, run, yeah, I don't know, you know. The next one is zamar, worship with the strings and musical instruments, specifically strings. What's that mean? Jesus likes a good lead guitar. It's true. He likes a good bass line. Do, do, do. Do, 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 do. You know, he likes a good, he likes a good, you know, little boom, boom, boom. You know, he likes it. He's into it. Electric guitar, he likes the keys, he likes the strings on the piano. Praise the Lord with strings and musical instruments. That's what it means. So you're like, yeah, I think it's cool. You guys got a band, you know, how modern of you. Yeah, well, it's really not modern. It's actually more ancient because it's what the Lord wants. He doesn't, listen, Jesus doesn't need disco dancers, right? American modern church is like, it's a, it's a Richard Simmons aerobicize, you know? I'm all in. That's halal. But where's the band? Where's the band? We've given up the band. Find a band. Just a thought. We want to be biblically correct. Well, be biblically correct. Get a band. Find them. David commanded him, all y'all that play instruments, play before the Lord. That's what he said. Let all who play skillfully play before the Lord. When David brought the ark into Jerusalem and he took it down and he put it up on a mountain, he talked the priests together and you can read it. He said to them, I don't know who here plays instruments, but if you don't, you need to learn. And those of you that play skillfully, you need to line up because there's going to be 24-hour worship with instruments around the presence of this ark. Oh, yeah, you were talking about the tabernacle of David. That's the tabernacle of David. Then the next one is Barak, which means to bless with a loud voice. So when you, some, you'll see this with my wife, like when she stands up here, Father, we bless you. We thank you, Lord. We love you, Lord. She'll bless you. She'll start praying in a loud voice. And she's usually doing a blessing exhortation when she's doing it. It's a form of praise. It's to bless with a loud voice. I don't know if you get the idea. There's noise, right? <laughs> the first two were silent. The rest of them are noisy, noisy. Tehillah, which means to sing, literally sing the halals. Sing jubilantly, sing ravefully, sing celebratory. Get excited. That's what it tells us. Then shabak just means shout. <laughs> shout. 
Shout, man. Is it again? Let's just play American church. Shout to the Lord all the earth. Let us shh, let us sing. Shout, man. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. He likes it. He likes it. Again, shh, we're church. Let's just calm down. Calm down, Pastor. Calm down. If anything, I, the Bible's completely contrary to calm down. It, it's just the opposite of it. You know, we're all like, calm down. Everybody calm down. Jesus is like, get excited. <laughs> because of you is the kingdom. Because of you is the power. So we end it with praise. That's what praise looks like. The kingdom comes from and is given forth from our Father. So God has given us his kingdom. The kingdom is present with the corporate church. The king's dominion is ours. And the king's dominion is present with the individual believer. The kingdom is in you. Right? Jesus said it's within reach and it resides within you. Well, then where is it? You have to learn to activate when we activate and appropriate. You have to understand the king's dominion. You have to understand who you are, who he is, what belongs to you. And you have to learn to activate and appropriate the king's dominion in your life. Our job as believers is to be about our Father's business, which is on earth as it is in heaven. What does that look like? Well, that's the question, isn't it? That's the art form. That's the negotiation, right? We're supposed to eradicate poverty. I would agree. Why? Because there's no poverty in heaven. But we don't eradicate poverty based upon human terms. It's impossible. You eradicate poverty based upon a revelation and a vision from God. The Holy Spirit has to be involved or it's not happening. It's not happening. Oh, we construct things. You know, we, we construct institutions. Typically what happens with particularly even Christian denominational or, or Christian uh, poverty missions is they, over time, because they are not spirit-born and they're not dedicated or infiltrated with the Holy Spirit, those organizations become insanely compromised. And there's almost no Jesus in it anymore at all because they compromise themselves. They're constantly trying to appease to the world. Jesus doesn't need the appeasement. He will re God, you don't think God wants to eradicate poverty? What if he has some people that actually believed him? In an uncompromising form, we will obey you. We will not dilute it. We will not take money that causes us to, 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 uh, to, causes us to compromise the value of who we are. That's what happens. These organizations get really big, and then these, these donors come, or these, these grant companies come, and they go, well, we'll give you $2 million, but man, can you, can you take the whole Jesus thing out of it? You know, can, 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 you, know, well, you can be faith-based. We're okay with the word faith-based. But, you know, the, the Jesus, you know, we just, we got to get Jesus out of that, you know. And we can't proselytize. You can't tell people about Jesus. You can't do that. So those, that money comes with, with conditions. And those organizations typically, I know I'm going to get an email. Somebody out there is hearing me like, what are you talking about? Look at the organizations. They prostitute themselves and they compromise the soul of the gospel for those things. What would happen? In an uncompromising way, what would happen? We said, we're going to believe God. Some of you have that kind of notion in you, you know, but you just follow old patterns. You follow world patterns. You follow the patterns of all of the preceding or preceding uh, ministries that have compromised year in and year out. They're faith-based. So what is it? It's a faith-based. We're doing a preschool. We're not faith-based. We're Jesus-based, right? This isn't faith-based. Told Danny, I'm coming in here. I'm going to go, look, I'm going to give you a word. Jesus. Does that bother you? Well, if Jesus bothers you, I don't think this is probably the school for your kids. 
Do you know why? Because by faith, we're looking for children that we can influence with the kingdom. By faith, we're looking for families that we can influence with the kingdom. And we're not compromising it. You say, well, what if parents won't come? Then God will bring them from the north, south, east, and west. I believe God. I believe God. We have faith that that will happen. We don't need to compromise. On earth as it is in heaven, what does God want? Where do you see the needs in the land? God wants orphanages, 100%. Don't compromise the gospel. Say, where's the money going to come from? Well, we can't get state money to run an orphanage or can't get state money to do, ta- to do, uh, to do uh, foster homes without, unless we take Jesus out. Then don't take the state's money. Well, where's the money going to come from? Ask your father. Ask your father. The cattle on a thousand hills are his, are they not? Right? Anything that causes you as a believer, if you're, this, I'm, I'm giving you kingdom. I'm not giving you church culture. I'm giving you kingdom. I'm giving you kingdom. This is our modern world. So on earth as it is in heaven, there's a lot of ways of doing this. But do I, I'm, you're going to ask me to compromise Jesus. You're going to ask me to do something I cannot do. There's a lot of things I can compromise, but that's not, that's not negotiable. That is non-negotiable. I'll eat ramen noodles if I have to, but I'm not selling out Jesus. I'm not. I refuse. You know, well, it's $2 million, Pastor. All we got to do is take Jesus' name off it. I mean, we're still faith-based. Not me. Take it. Your money perish with you. No way. I will not. Simonry, manipulation, demonic manipulation, trying to make covenants with the church. And the, co- and the church makes covenants with people. <laughs> we make covenants with devils. What do you think the devil wants more than anything? Just get the name of Jesus off there. We have churches that use the generic word God. That's all they God, this, and God, that. Jesus. I say it to the nations. His name is Jesus. It's who he is. We're not using God. Well, we don't want to offend the unbeliever. Maybe the unbeliever needs to be offended. Maybe they do. Maybe it's not God as you understand him to be. But it's God as who he declares himself to be. It's not a generic God. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to the Father except through him. Period. Not negotiable. He's not one among many. He's the one and only. One rock star and his name's Jesus. And we celebrate him with everything we have. He is the all in all. He is the preeminent one. And I willfully bow. Willfully. And I will not compromise him. In a compromising world and in a compromising church, we will not bow him. We will not surrender him. Under no terms. So they'll take everything from you. Then take it all from me. I'll stand in the street. You know? (laughs) That's fine. Not taking it from me because I'm a son and it belongs to me. And you have no right to take it from me. What God gives, he gives without repentance. Nothing can be taken from you if God has given it to you, unless you allow it. That's another story. Our job as believers is to do this. So of him is the kingdom, to be about our Father's business, in our personal lives, in our spheres of influence, and in our greater world. So I just laid it out for you. So like in the corporate church, so we're doing the kingdom here. We're trying to move the kingdom into the spheres of influence through the preschool and into the greater world through the Internet. <clears throat> we have people every week that watch us from all over the world. That guy from Bozeman, Montana, asking me to pray for him. A guy from uh, North Carolina called me up, wants, wants to pray for me. I don't even know how they're getting my number. I'm, I'm serious. I'm like, because my number's like, like, some of you are like, I don't even have your number, Pastor. I know. I don't know where this number, where they're getting my number. Shelly? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's influence. We're supposed to push our influence to the greater parts of the world. That's what we're supposed to do. And this is what we're doing. Of him is the power. So we're supposed to take, take the kingdom and the dominion. We're supposed to understand this. It's what we're supposed to do. <laughs> you're like, Kevin, you're heavy. Smile. I'm going to smile. See? Smile. 
Six Greek words for power. Ready for this one? This is awesome. I love it. I love it. So if you don't think praise worship matters, there's seven words for praise. We can do one of them, right? You may not be able to do all seven, but you can do one. Well, I can't play an instrument. I sing horribly. I look like a moron when I jubilantly move. So I don't think, I think that disqualifies me. But you can look like a moron if you jubilantly move. Jesus is all right with that. But you can, all can raise their hands. All of us can raise our hands, right? And now power. We have the first Greek word is dunamis. This is the one that's most popular. And you shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, Acts chapter 1. We understand this. This is one the church has often fostered, rightfully so, 100%, all in, I agree. And it means it's where we get the word dunamis, it's where we get the word dynamo, right? You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Judea, excuse me, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the other ends of the world. Holy Spirit. This is dunamis. It means dynamo. It means dynamic. It means transforming power. So when you receive Christ, you receive dynamic, transforming power. Somebody was just telling me yesterday, when I came to Christ, I walked out and the, and the trees were greener. The colors were greener. Something dynamic just happened to you. It also means dynamo. This is the indwelling presence of the Spirit. Dynamo is a power generator. So all of you have the Holy Spirit inside of you who generates power. Dynamo. It's dynamic and it's dynamo. It's, it, the, the, the Spirit of God generates power within you. You can activate that power. It's given to you. The Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father. He's the fulfillment and the activator and the administrator of the government of heaven. And he is, the, he is the activator of the believer's inheritance, and he is the partner in the believer's destiny. If that's true, do you think you should neglect the Holy Spirit? If that's true, do you think you should understand the Holy Spirit as he's been defined to you, or should you understand the Holy Spirit as he defines himself? The church loves to define the Holy Spirit in such limited means. Oh, the Holy Spirit, it's that little tingle you get down your arm, you know. We're all just being led by the Spirit. Man, it's totally different. It's not that way at all. The Holy Spirit is the promise, the fulfillment, the activator, the administrator of the government of heaven. It's who he is. And all, every believer has the indwelling power, but not every believer activates the indwelling power. You guys are really quiet this morning. It's like, hush. <laughs> I don't know if I'm blowing you out the door. You're like, man, this guy's really bothering me. I got to go today. It's like crazy. This guy's killing me. So anyway, Holy Spirit is that. The second word for power is this word exousia. I love this word exousia. This is what we, when we pray, when I pray over you, when someone prays over you, it's the word exousia. It's, ex it's where we get the word exert, right? When you exert, you're pushing or you're releasing something. So we have the power of God in us, and the word exousia is exerted, expressive, and authoritative power. So what happens is, so this is what it looks like, right? I'm going to show you how the, this is how the Holy Spirit works. It's generated power through the Holy Spirit. So when I go to pray for someone, I immediately activate, I let the Holy Spirit begin to move, right? He, I just, you know, like, okay, the girl I was praying for on Easter. Spirit of God starts moving. I can feel his power. He's generating. I know he wants to do something. He's not generating his power because he just, he wants to make me feel good. That's, that's part of it, but I'm not in worship, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm talking to someone and I can sense his power coming over me. It's the generated power is mine, right? So when I go to lay hands on that person, I lay hands on them and it's exousia. I activate and I release what he has just generated within me. That's the idea of exousia. It's the word where we get impartation, right? And so sometimes when you're praying in the atmosphere, you can like feel power coming out of you. That's exousia. You need to learn to practice that. I just release you into the atmosphere in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, I release your power into the atmosphere. Exousia. Laying on of hands. Exerted power. It's important. Iscus. Everybody say iscus. 
That's sustaining power. That's the power that gives you the ability to go through stuff when you should have been on your, you should have not just completely wiped you out. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You don't know how you stood up under those circumstances, but you stood up because it's your inheritance. The Holy Spirit is your inheritance. It's iscus. It's a power to sustain you when there's no reason why you should be sustained. Isn't that good? <laughs> iscus. The power to stand. Kratos is establishing power. It literally means the framework of power. So when you receive this, why the Kratos is the strength of God or the framework of God within. It's literally strength in the bones. That's what it means. So when Kratos is a strength, an impartation of strength that literally frames you with authority and literally frames you with dominion. Sometimes you don't need just sustaining power. You need establishing power, and that's what Kratos is. Kratos is literally the word for dominion or kingdom power is the kratos of God, which again, we see the kingdom is a framework, right? And so the power of the kingdom of God is within a framework. And what's the power within the framework? The kratos power of God. It's the same power that comes inside of you and can frame you. So we have the generated power, we have the exousia power, we have the sustaining power, and we have a power that, that, that is ours. It's the strength within, the dominion power. Not just the ability to make it through, but an ability to be established, an ability to not to be immovable, Here's Ephesians 1.19, and you're going to see there's three words for power in this one verse. Watch this. So I want, to, I want to be clear here. Paul is praying to a church that's all about the word. Ephesus. If you read Ephesus, Ephesus was a high doctrine church, all about the scripture. But as you see the progression of the church of Ephesus by the book of Revelation, they had lost their agape. They had lost their charis. They had lost their charismata. They had lost the manifestation of the spiritual gifts. Go back and get, do the first works that were done in love. Oh, feed the poor. No, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils. That's the first works. Go back to the charismata. That's what Jesus was telling them. Go back. The gifts are the spiritual power. The word grace is charis, and it's spiritual power moving in love. That's where the power, it's all about power. You look at the Holy Spirit. There's no, you cannot talk about the Holy Spirit without establishing in the moving of power. He's just there. And so Paul is talking to this church, and he's, and he's telling them, my prayer for you is that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you guys would get it. They had all the knowledge, Christians filled with all the right things but couldn't care less. They knew their doctrine. They knew their chapters. They knew their verses. All that's wonderful. But the, the, the letter kills and the Spirit gives life. You have to have the Word and the Spirit or you've got nothing. You've got nothing. We have the Spirit without the Word. We go off into la-la land, not wonderland, la-la land. And he gets really kooky. Woo. You know. <laughs> Anybody here? <laughs> but if you have the word and you don't have the spirit, it gets really stark. It gets very sterile. It gets very judgmental. It gets very structured. It gets high structured. It almost becomes suffocating. But then when you have the word with the spirit, you have life. You have the proper framework and you have the life of God moving within the spirit. That's what you're looking for. That's what you're questing. So Paul's talking to this church. He said, my prayer for you is that you would understand the exceeding greatness of his mighty transforming power, dunamis, toward us who believe according to the working of his established dominance, kratos, and that, and that you would understand his sustaining power, iscus, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. What's his prayer for this church? He uses three different words for power in one verse. His prayer for them is that they would know and understand power in all dimensions. That's important because you also got to know who he's talking to. He's talking to doctrine church. He's talking to high word church. Doctrine. It's all theologically correct, pastor. It's all, I'm all in. I love theology. Love it. Love it. But theology subordinates to spirit. Jesus never violates his word, but he will violate my understanding. That's a big point. 
He never violates his word, but he will violate what I think. He will violate what I understand. So that's important. So kratos is the framework, the establishing power. Another word for power is energia. It's where we get the word energy from. It means efficient, ongoing, and effective. Ha ha. Anybody ever, you ever said, like, you prayed, oh, Lord, help me write this paper? You know, some of you in school, I was just telling Jody, who's got papers to write this week, I said, ask the Holy Spirit, Jody. I'm like, you're overwhelmed with writing this paper. I go, you don't think the Holy Spirit knows how to write a paper? The Holy Spirit knows how to write a paper. He'll write that paper for you. Anybody ever done that? Lord, I don't know what to do. Help me with this. And it becomes very efficient. <laughs> You're like, wow, that was easy. You know, that's the, that's the energy of the Spirit. He makes it efficient. He makes it ongoing, effective, and efficient. You don't know how to do it, but he does, and he just streamlines it. Lord, I don't know how I'm going to pull it off. Look to me. Lord, I need your help to help me pull it off. Boom. And it was efficient. You're like, wow. That's, again, that belongs to you, Christian. This is a really powerful one, too. This is the last one. Biastes. And biastis is a forceful determination, a seizing, and a laying hold of power. Where you see that is when people are praying, right? You ever see people pray? In the name of Jesus, you know, it's this forceful determination. It's this, I will not be denied. This is mine. I will not be denied. That is not just prayer with it. Well, that person's a pretty challenging person. No, that person is being activated with, a, with, this, with this word biastis, which is a seizing power that's given by the Spirit. Right? Kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violence, biastis, take it by force. It's that determining power that God gives the believer. What happens when we don't, when we don't understand power, what, happens when we, what ends up happening is we end up, we, we be, well, we're just lambs, pastor. We're just lambs, you know. We're just, we're just timid. We're just waiting for Jesus, you know. It's just, this, is, this is the mentality of the church, and this is not the mentality that God wants within his people. This is what I'm trying to give you some understanding on. Like, as a believer, what is he calling for? He's calling for this. He's calling for us to understand power in all dimensions. He's calling us. Sometimes you need that seizing power. Devil's going to take your children. Well, it's God's will to take my child. You don't understand power. You don't understand power. First of all, you don't understand position. You don't understand inheritance. You don't understand your father. And you don't understand authority. Exercise a little biastis, ladies. And begin to seize it. That child does not belong to you. In the name of Jesus, I lay hold of what is rightfully mine. I call what is not as though it were. Command you, devil. Take your hand off. You know, that's biastis. That's that seizing power. That's that determining power. Big difference, right? So when you understand these words, it gives you permission to activate that stuff. Iskis, God's going to sustain me. You know, Kratos, he's going to frame me with strength. God will frame your whole world with strength. And then lastly is the glory. And we're going to pray. We're going to say a prayer. The glory is this Hebrew word, kavod. Kavod means weight, substance of goodness. When Moses said, show me your glory, he wanted to say, he was saying, Lord, I want you to show me who you are. And the Lord showed him his backside. He, and the Lord proclaimed who he was. Merciful, kind, loving to generations. You say, people say, well, what's God like? His character is kavod. Kavod means weight, substance. This is what God's actually trying to do in your life is to put substance on your life, Right? But there's got to be a framework of character there before he can put substance on your life. <laughs> but what God is, is what his substance is in the character of God's, the, the character of God or who he is, is he is good. It means value, worth, dignity, honor, and majesty. So this is who he is. God, say with me, Jesus cannot, nor will he, ever violate his character. So what happens, well, this is why this is, this is a very important thing, is that the foundation of all kingdom thinking is the goodness of God. If you do not have the understanding, the concept, the mindset to willfully determine the goodness of God, you will never activate or operate in kingdom power ever. 
So what it looks like, Jesus is the cornerstone. Yes, that's true. We establish, but if our thinking is wrong about Jesus, no matter how firmly set the cornerstone is, you're still going to build a life that's off. The right thinking about the Lord is that Jesus is good, always and forever. If you believe God is the author, if you believe that God is the author of evil, you don't know. The Bible says this. Somebody say, well, the Old Testament says this, and there was an, well, I don't even have time to develop what I want to say, but, so I'm going to try to condense it because I'm completely out of time. <laughs> I want to say a lot on that, but I can't because I don't have the time. But the understanding is that, that God is good. It's God is good. There's a lot of reasons why evil happens to you, but it's not from the Lord. Who told you that? Well, God gave me this sickness to test me. Who told you that? Who told you? It's not there. Who told you that? Is it good and perfect? No. Well, then it didn't come from the Lord. Every good and perfect gift comes from down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there is what? No shadow of turning. So he is, this is who he is. It's New Testament revelation. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Is that true? That word repentance means he doesn't change his mind. So if somebody, did God give you that? Yes. Then why would he take it from you? Because if he gave it to you, he didn't change his mind. Well, how do you know? Because the Bible says so. Now, you have a lying voice that's telling you that. You might have Dr. So-and-so, some theological professor, or somebody actually telling you something because they themselves don't understand the Lord. And they teach, we teach this nonsense, and we become unaffected. There's a lot of reasons why things happen. You know? The thing I wanted to say, I have more to say than this. It's like, listen, the devil does nothing but right, but by right. You need to understand that. The enemy can do nothing to you but by right. He does nothing but by right. And so if he's doing something in your life, it's not from God. It's not. So what the devil does is he has a right, right? There is an evil spirit sent from the Lord to Saul. Okay? What does that mean? Well, it means the devil had a right against Saul, and he asked for it. He asked for it. And what will happen is he had, he had probably 30 rights against Saul, but he was asking for some right of torment against Saul, mainly be, probably because Saul was involved in sorcery and witchcraft and different things like that. So his right of inheritance towards Saul was this guy's operating this way, and I claim destruction. I claim torment and destruction. And God will reprieve, 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 and try to convict Saul to repent. Saul won't repent. Saul won't repent. Saul won't repent. The devil keeps accusing, keeps accusing, keeps accusing. Lord keeps extending grace until finally the devil goes, I want my right heard. And the Lord will rule on that right, thereby passing judgment. Well, God judged. No, God judged according to the right the devil had, the legal right that he had. Well, what breaks the legal right? Repentance. Saul wouldn't repent. God gives this grace period to repent. Saul didn't repent. What did Jesus say to Peter? The devil has what? Come on. New Testament. He has what? Asked for you to sift you as wheat. And when you come back around, strengthen your brother. What was the devil's right against, Jesus, against Peter? Anybody know? He had a right. Self-sufficiency. All will desert you, Lord, but I will never desert you. The devil goes, really? I claim the pride of self-sufficiency, and I want to test him on that. And Jesus told him, devil's claiming the right of self-sufficiency. Same thing with Job. What was his right against Job? He didn't do that because, oh, the Lord allowed the devil to go and test Job. What was, Job, what was Job's problem? Pride, religious pretense. Job served the Lord out of religion, and the devil accused him of that. Job is just checking boxes, and he is just checking boxes, and I demand the right to put his faith to the test. He says he loves you, but I say he checks boxes doing all the right things, making offerings for his children, doing all the religious things. Job operates in a spirit of religion, and I demand the right to test him. Strip everything from him, and he'll curse you because he worships in pretense. That was his right. You don't think this is real? You don't think this is true? The devil can't do anything but by right. Oh, the devil's testing me. Well, what's his right? How do I know his right? Ask the Holy Spirit. He'll tell you. 
That's a whole other animal. I'm talking about a big animal here. But this is what afflicts rights within, this is what helps, this is what hinders Christians. This is the things that ends up happening in their lives. And the devil does these things by a right or at something that he is activating, and then he accuses God to you. Look what the Lord is doing from you. Look what, God didn't want you to have that business. See, God gave you that business, and as soon as he gave it to you, he took it all away. That's what God did. He's trying to humble you. All that sickness you have, that's from God. That's from God. God's testing you with it. That sickness is from God. And we believe lies. But that's for another day and another story. But if you don't understand God's good, you believe a lie. What lie do you believe? Right? That's, that's the question. Lastly, I want to get to this one point, because this last point, I really love this point. I wanna, I'm running out of time. <laughs> I didn't want to go there, but I did. So doxa, so kavod is weight of goodness. We got to understand his weight of goodness, Christian. Slap yourself if you have to. Everything around you is telling you God is evil. Smack yourself in the head and tell yourself God is good and I make no covenants with any, any and I renounce all lies to the contrary. My statement of record before the court of heaven is that God is good and I renounce all lies to the contrary. I don't care what I feel. I don't care what the circumstances say to me. My faith says God is real and I will accept nothing else. Just do that. Doxa, brightness, radiance, beauty. That's the Greek word. So the Hebrew word talks about his character. The Greek, the Greek word talks about his external. He's beautiful. He's right. He's radiant. Shekinah is the abiding presence of God. There's a whole other story. We have habitation, not visitation. Right? Churches often, this is, again, this, why am I talking so much in this way? I'm trying to get you to understand why we don't see what we're supposed to see. Because most of the time, our thinking is completely misaligned. The church is still under this visitation thing. Oh, God's going to come with revival. Revival's here. You have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. The church would learn to activate what we already have. We would see springs of revival. Old Testament economy was a visitation. Jesus, the Spirit came, and he went. The Spirit came, and he went. We have habitation economy in the New Testament. The veil has been torn, the blood has been shed, the temple has been prepared, and he inhabits us. He's not going anywhere. Oh, I don't want the Lord to lift his anointing. Where does it say he will? I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's New Testament. Habitation. He's with you. He's with you. You say, I don't want to do anything to cause him to leave me. He's not leaving you. He's not leaving you. He's going to stick with you, warts and all. He's with you, right? He bought the whole package. If you're faithless, he's faithful. He won't deny himself. Habitation. He's with you. Who told you that? Who told you you're disqualified? Who told you God lifted his anointing? Who told you? No, seriously, who told you that? Did Jesus tell you that? No? Oh, then it must be a lie. Don't covenant with lies. Don't partner with lies. Habitation. Justified in Christ Jesus. Jehovah de Sidkenu. You are justified, not based upon works, but based upon his decision. The spirit belongs to you. He's in you. That's another story. Last one is false. This is another word for glory. It means the glory of illumination. This is the glory that comes through revelation. Some of you, you read your word, or God gives you an insight. Poof. It's like a light went on, right? And none of you anybody are here, right? It's like poof. That's the word phos. It's where we get the word phosphorus from. It's part of his glory. It's his glory to reveal to you. It's his glory to show you things. He loves it. It's where we get this word phosphorus. It gives us revelation. So it means this, that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. That's, again, Ephesians 1, phos. The enlightenment of your understanding. The glory of his understanding. And phosphorus is an interesting thing, right? So we get this word, we get, phos becomes phosphorus, but that's where we get the word phosphorus from. White phosphorus is self-igniting. Did you know that? If you take pure phosphorus and you put it in an an oxygen-rich environment, it sets itself on fire. I think that's awesome. 
You take yellow phosphorus and it glows in the dark. So if I have the illumination and the glory of Phos, that means I can be self-igniting. Yes, Jesus. <laughs> and that means I can glow in the dark, right? Let your light, let your phos, you want to know where it's used? I'm telling you. It also means light. It means firelight. Firelight. Let your light so shine. Let the light of your fire so shine. Bless little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. No. The firelight. Let your firelight so shine. Self-ignite before the world that they may see your good spirit-inspired deeds and may glorify your Father in heaven. Amen. You are the false. You are the firelight of the world. Huh? We're the firelight of the world. <laughs> Come on, man. This isn't about little candles. It's about burning, man. It's about being igniting. It's about burning in the midst of darkness with the glory of his power and the glory of his purpose, the anointing and residue and power illuminating. That's what I want. That's what the Bible tells me I can have. And that's what I want. <laughs> so we're going to pray. Let's pray. Come on. Say it with me. I'm supposed to be? Stand on your feet, please. I'm supposed to be self-igniting and glow in the dark. Right? We're going to say a prayer. So we're going to say this prayer together. Say it, say it with me. Where am I? There we am. Say, Father, Father we give you glory. Give you glory. For of you, of you is the beauty and the wonder of your kingdom. We are grateful that you share it with us. We are grateful that we are heirs of your kingdom. It gives you great joy to give us your kingdom. And so with great joy and with honor to you, we willfully receive it. Holy Spirit, guide me in the activation and the appropriation of the kingdom into every area of my life, my sphere of influence, and into the greater world around me. Of you, Father, is the power. I thank you for the Holy Spirit, who is the promise, the fulfillment, the activator, the administrator of the government of heaven, of my inheritance, and of my destiny. I choose 1 Corinthians 4.20. The kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. I honor you, and I activate the glory of your presence in my life. I choose to align with the truth that you are good, and I reject all lies to the contrary. I allow the abiding presence of your glory to shine within my heart. I self-ignite with your glory, the burning firelight of your presence. I will never again deny or hide the power that you have given me. I will allow the light of your glory to shine, for it is a gift to me. It is an honor given to me by my Father, and I will never again deny it or, not, or allow another to suppress it or take it from me. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> That's how I pray. Anyway, let me bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. God loves you. Yeah.
We love you. Have a great week. We have a prayer team available if you need prayer along the walls.